In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. So you're here to, uh, to meet Dr. Cactor, uh, appear on his podcast. He's a psychopath. Uh, really rare. <laughs> There's very few like him. We've tried to study him, of course, but his, his brain is operating on a level beyond anyone else. Do not pass him pen. Do not pass him pencil. He will only try to make lists off of it. The last woman who appeared on his podcast, he did this to her. Even when he was dissecting the nuances of La Dolce Vida, his pulse never got above 85. <laughs> so, good luck. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> he hasn't even seen a film directed by a woman in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Hi guys, welcome to uh to You're pretty to... pretty tough on yourself in that opener there. <laughs> well, you know, his uh, you know, he's a psychopath. Uh the guy who runs this <laughs> this podcast, a mild one. Um <laughs> Welcome to Craigslist and uh I'm Craig Hi, I'm Carla. And we're going to talk about The Silence of the Lambs today. This is a 1991 thriller starring Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins, Scott Glenn, Ted Levine, and directed by the late Jonathan Demme. Aww. And uh, that, of course, was uh, a little bit of the speech that Frederick Chilton gives uh, Clarice before she goes in to meet Hannibal Lecter for the first time. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh... How's it going, Carla? Good. <laughs> and you guys might have noticed that we had a little underscoring uh, under that opening piece. And we have, for I guess the third time on the podcast, we have a musician joining us hello. today. Hello. Hello. <laughs> hello. But for the first time, we have a real jazz man. Jazz cat <laughs> MP, baby. <laughs> and uh, his name is Matt Parker. And uh, he's playing little keys for us today, but he also is a woodwind player, yes. sax, clarinet, flute. You've just been on tour. On tour. And you are one of Carla's oldest friends. Oldest, nearest and dearest. The oldest. <laughs> the. He's like 72. Yeah. <laughs> You've held he's up very well. The oldest friend I have. <laughs> I can remember back in the days when we would frolic in the trees. And- frolic in the trees. We would jump from tree to tree frolicking. Wow. That is going away. Uh, Matt and I met in the sixth grade when I lived in, when we lived in Fort Lauderdale. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember when we met the exact day. But I remember you being there. <laughs> and uh, we would... He was there on the day you met? He was there, like, around in my life when I was 12, I yeah. guess, would have been sixth grade. Is that right? Yep. 11, 12, 13, something like that. Sunrise Middle School. Sunrise Middle School was where we went to school. And we would 
when our parents dropped us off, we would hang out before homeroom and we would play spit. Do you remember this? Oh, the card game. <laughs> the card game. Yeah, I was like, whoa. <laughs> what are you talking what about? Spit? Yes, I do remember this. Uh, yeah, we played spit constantly in the mornings. It was always so fun. And then he dated my best friend, Jenny. Okay. Jenny Wilbanks. Oh, Wilbanks, Miss Wilbanks. Yeah. <laughs> when you were like 13. Yes. Um, the thing that I always really loved about, about Matt was that he always wanted to play the saxophone. And then when he grew up, he did. And he's a real jazz musician. Dreams can come true, people. Yeah, yeah he followed his bliss. Just follow your bliss. <laughs> <laughs> so you're based in New York, but we're lucky to have you just randomly out here in L.A. In today. In town, yeah. So you just got back from a tour. Six weeks. Six weeks all over the country. All over the country. And who were you playing with? Uh, postmodern Jukebox. That's really cool. So these are the folks who update uh, pop hits into like big band numbers, exactly. right? Yeah. That's a nice way to put it. Okay. <laughs> uh, you were living on a bus for six weeks. Yes. And you slept in a coffin. Coffin. <laughs> yes. Um, very Lecter-esque. Very Lecter-esque. <laughs> so they were yeah. just like uh, wheeling you around yes. with a face mask exactly. on the whole time. Yeah. I would have, uh, you know... The very small uh, curtains uh, would watch people walk by every day. And <laughs> hopefully, uh, not throw things into their hair. <laughs> so you watched this movie on the bus? On the bus, I caught up. It's been years. I can't remember actually for the last time I saw it, but I've seen it a few times. Uh, so you're touring with a bunch of millennials, and you could not convince them to watch the Silence. Could of the not Lambs get them. You. I couldn't get anybody to watch Silence <laughs> of the Lambs. Because your your little bunk was too small for you to actually like watch a computer or something, right. right? So you had to watch it on the big screen in the bus. Yes, and they just wouldn't watch it with you. Yeah, it was people would much rather watch uh, Game of Thrones was the big hit. On okay, the tour. sure. So each week we would watch uh, at least. Three or four times it would be on the bus. <laughs> the same episode. The same episode. Okay. Oh. And so then uh, you guys were in L.A. last weekend as well. Yes. Played the Greek. And wow. that's when you got to watch. And I had the bus all to myself. Because and... all the millennials went to the beach or something? Yeah. I have no idea what they did. But <laughs> I shut the curtains on the bus and made it really dark and... Took full advantage of the loud sound system. Awesome. And, and scared yourself scared shitless. Scared myself shitless at three <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon in LA. <laughs> and we just watched this movie last night, Carla, and yeah. you were really trying to avoid watching this movie at night, but scheduling wise, scheduling -wise it was the yeah. only way it would work out. Yeah. And uh, how'd you sleep last night? Not great. I woke up this morning and I opened my <laughs> mouth to brush my teeth and I yelped because my jaw hurt so bad, which means I was grinding my teeth <laughs> in the middle of the night so badly. I also ate a hammer burger at like almost 10 o'clock at night which is something i never ever do but i hadn't eaten all day yeah because i'd been gone all day and so like between the hamburger sitting in my stomach and silence of the lambs i just did not have a good night's sleep yeah that's a rough one so you don't think you'd seen this since you were a teen uh, yeah, and it's funny because I remember this movie so vividly that I thought for sure it had just been a few years ago. But as I sat down and I was watching it and I was picking up on things that I never recognized before, uh, mostly like the gender role stuff, yeah. which I didn't, you know, understand when I was a kid. Then I realized like, oh, I haven't seen this since I was a teenager. Uh, but the reason I picked this one for Matt 
is because it was made in ni- or it came out in 91. 91, yeah. And that's probably right around the time that we met. There it is. Yeah. So you guys don't think you saw this when it came out? You would have been like in 6th grade or something at the time. Yeah, I would have I would have been too young for it. I think I saw it shortly after I it came I out. I saw it. I I would I I remember sneaking out of my bedroom at night and my parents would Back when you would watch a movie at home, yeah, as like a thing to do with your friends, right? Like yeah. it was an Invite event. Your, yeah, friends over and make popcorn. Yeah, my folks would do that, and I would sneak. I remember sneaking, watching a little bit of this. Yeah, I think I I, I was a big scaredy cat. I still am. It's this this the psych the psychology uh, stuff really gets me. I think the first time I saw it, I really do think this is true. Was with Jenny, who was our friend at, at the same time. I was, I think it was a sleepover thing and her parents had it on Laserdisc. Laserdisc. <laughs> and yeah, and I think her parents went out and we put it in because I remember being in her back. We would call it the, uh, the Florida room. Do you remember? Oh yeah, these? yeah, Florida room. Which is like a, it's like a, it, it's like an, a porch inside porch, the house. Yeah. <laughs> a porch inside the house? Well, not kind of. Yeah, it's like a glass porch. Okay. Yeah, it's like an glass, enclosed porch. Yes, yeah, so it's with like glass Florida walls. Bay windows. Yes. Remember those with the little crank? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> Some things like I think I'm going crazy remembering, but that's that's a true thing. Yeah. And uh so anyways, point being like you could just see outside like all around you and it was dark and I just remember being like cuddling up into the lazy boy or whatever and being so scared that Hannibal Lecter was going to just like show up on the other (laughs) side of the glass like he does in the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I saw this movie in the theaters when it came out in 91. Uh, I'm, I was a senior in college at the time. I'm a little older than you guys, but regardless of what age you are when you first see this, this is a movie that just gets under your skin and stays there. Yeah. Uh, this is based on the novel by Thomas Harris, who wrote all of the uh, the Hannibal novels. He had had Red Dragon before this. And my friend Christian, who was my roommate, had read the novels. He was also a big fan of Manhunter, which was the earlier mm-hmm. uh, adaptation of Red Dragon that had come out. I had never seen Manhunter and actually didn't see it for years. Uh, do you remember who plays Hannibal Lecter in that? Yeah, give me a second. I saw it not maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, it's somebody like, it's like a British actor. Yep. And it's someone like, um, uh, did he just die? No, he's still around. I'll give you a hint. He was in a movie on Craigslist, uh, that we discussed with Mark Warzeka. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, oh, he's the great, the, I love that guy. What's his name? Brian Cox. Brian Cox. Yes. Yeah. That's Brian right. Cox is fantastic. Yeah. Huge who plays the headmaster in, in Rushmore. He's the great guy. <laughs> he's the great guy. But yeah, he's also. I was thinking of adaptation. He plays Robert McKee or yes, whatever his of name course. is. Yeah, in adaptation. Uh, so, folks, I'm going to assume that everybody's seen Silence of the Lambs. I'm going to assume Silence of the Lambs is on everyone's top 100, right? Yeah, I mean it's pretty good. Come it's on, really good. Even, yeah. But (laughs) I will give you a brief synopsis of the plot. Uh, Clarice Starling, played by Jodie Foster, is a young FBI Academy student. And uh, her boss, uh, Jack Crawford, who's a profiler uh, with the FBI, sends her to interview a notorious serial killer slash cannibal, 
Hannibal, Dr. Hannibal Lecter uh, for advice on uh, how to handle this new serial killer Buffalo Bill that the FBI is tracking. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we kind of follow Clarice as uh, she builds this uh, relationship with Hannibal Lecter as well as gets involved in tracking down Buffalo Bill. And it's uh, a terrifying yet a uh, humanistic movie, I would say, <laughs> uh, strangely enough. And I would say, oh, I, w- I want to talk more about this, but I think that that's what Jonathan Demme brought to this movie that maybe separates it from all the other creepy serial killer movies that we've seen and a lot of inferior things that have maybe been inspired by this. Right. This uh, is the only thriller to win the Academy Award for Best Picture. Really? Uh, I have no idea as, as far as I know, yeah. Uh, it's one of only three movies that have won the big five awards of picture, director, actor, actress, and screenplay. Wow. The others also being on Craigslist. It happened one night and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Wow. Uh, would be the other ones. And this movie was the first movie that was widely available on home video at the time of the Oscar voting. And many people think that was a big factor. I guess screeners were not as much of a thing back then for the Academy members. And this was a movie you could actually rent on VHS mm-hmm. uh, at the time because it came out in February, which means, you know, almost every Oscar movie comes out right in December as the years is winding down. So that's kind of like prestige season. But this was a movie that made such a powerful impact early in the year that it stayed in people's minds and, but isn't that whole prestige season thing, didn't that kind of like take place with Miramax? Like after that, like in the late nineties, that started to become a thing. It's always been a thing. I think it's been more and more of a recent development over the last 25 years or so. But even then it was a thing that it's was very rare for, you know, mm. usually January, February, March, usually, usually <laughs> January, February, March is when. <laughs> <laughs> the studios kind of dump their shitty movies because movie going is way down then. It's just not, not a time where people, you know, it's, it's winter. Right. People stay in. Uh, and that's when they kind of, uh, burn off the movies that have been sitting in their vaults for a while. Right. Uh, you, you usually don't see a lot of prestige movies that are released then. Uh, and I don't think necessarily that o- Orion Pictures, you know, had this in mind as a potential Academy Award winner. But uh, it really is the casting of Foster and Hopkins that just separates this from the pack, I think. Was this the year before or the year after Howard's End? This is before Howard's End. Okay, so this is the beginning of kind of Anthony Hopkins' um, yeah. ra- reign as like the best actor in Hollywood for a few years there. He certainly was a known actor. You know, I think he was probably as known for his stage work around the time that Silence of the Lambs came out. Wasn't uh, he also kind of just known as an actor who just took any role <laughs> that he was you know what i mean like i feel like he was in a lot of really random stuff for a long time where you're kind of yes. you're kind of like i don't see a plan here <laughs> like michael kane where like he'll exactly. work that's for, exactly what i was thinking of. he'll yeah. do whatever yeah yeah but then if like this kind of pushed him into a different i knew him best arena. from the ele- from the elephant man oh have you yes, seen that matt that yeah was, you're a david lynch fan yeah, that was right great. yeah so, John Hurt was the guy I was thinking of earlier, by the way. Uh, oh. <laughs> when I was like, you know, he just died. Yeah. Uh, well, John Hurt was the elephant. Man. Right. And, yeah. Um, Anthony Hopkins, I believe, is also in The Lion in Winter in the 60s with Peter O'Toole and Catherine Hepburn. Mm-hmm. He plays one of the sons in that. So. He was in a movie with Shirley MacLaine 
And when I read her, one of her many autobiographies, uh, she had talked about how he was not a nice person, uh-huh. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins, but he was like an alcoholic. And then years later, she went up to him to congratulate him on his Howard's End role and that he was so kind to her and he apologized profusely for how he had treated her. Really? Wow. And the movie that, but that he was going through a tough time in his life. And yeah. Been in, Cause I, and then since then I've heard, I've kind of met people over the years who've met him or worked for him and he's just supposedly the nicest guy. That's good to hear. Yeah, I think after this movie, you know, he had a run of like Howard Zen, Remains of the Day, Shadowlands, you know, uh, that he's continued up to this day with Westworld mm-hmm. and everything. I mean, he's, he's the best. And Hannibal Lecter, just one of the most memorable characters ever created. But would it have been the same if they had gone with Jonathan Demme's first two choices, Sean Connery and Michelle Pfeiffer? Yeah. That's who it was, Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer. Yeah, I heard Halle Berry was also a, a runner-up for Wow for Jody's role as well in wow. this one. A very young Halle Berry. Wow, which would have been really interesting. Yeah, but I think not she nearly later, as good. She later <laughs> took a role where she was kind of in this kind like of FBI. Thing. Yeah, interesting. Uh. So what about Jodie Foster in this role? Like what, what makes, uh, what makes her performance so great? I, I think that the, actually, I think that those two performances make this whole film. Yeah. All the performances are great, but I can't even imagine anybody else in either of these parts. Uh, not even Julianne Moore? No. <laughs> Who well, later I, played I was Clarice thinking about that sequel? because right. Jodie yeah. Foster said no to the sequel, right? Yeah. And I, that movie was terrible. And I love Julianne Moore. I think she's really great, but I think what's, works so well with Jodie Foster in this is that she's obviously like right away you can tell she's intelligent and she has a strength but then she also it feels like she's hiding something the whole movie Hmm. which kind of is how it feels with just watching Jodie like she has a secret she always seems that yeah doesn't she yeah like she always is like I'm not telling you everything uh which I think is such an interesting part of her and it makes her so mysterious and charismatic and it's perfect for this role yeah that's the quality that I think she gets hit on inappropriately by men all throughout the the movie and she you know we don't know anything about Clarice's sexuality about her in her life really mm-hmm. you know i mean she she plays it very professionally the, the whole time but yeah she's very she's really got kind of a, a poker face yeah and i, I guess it wasn't even necessarily thinking sexual sexuality just you know the whole thing with her her family backstory whatever that's kind of slowly revealed over the film right. like the first time you see her you you get a sense of like something bad happened to her and she is now just like putting up all these walls so that people can't see it or find it. Yeah. Watching the film today and something that is becoming more and more, we're, uh, we're finding more and more of these really strong female leads in, mm-hmm. in every aspect of entertainment. And this movie, seeing it, thinking back to 1991, this was really the beginning of a lot of that, yeah. you know, these strong, yeah. um, unconventional roles, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the FBI agent who's a female, right. like that whole opening montage yes. <laughs> is just like, you know, her taking on these at the Academy, these giant guys, yeah. you know, she and her friend are the only 
female students and the whole thing, you know, and so there's several scenes of Jodie Foster just dwarfed by clearly Demi was casting the tallest guys possible, right. totally. you know, to just to contrast her. So there's a lot of scenes of, you know, state troopers or FBI students. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see this one tiny woman surrounded by these guys. And so it's very pointed how many times he brings and that up visually. That's the kind of stuff that I do- didn't register. I don't think, or at least I didn't remember about the movie. Yeah. You know, because in my mind, it's just like, yeah, Jodie Foster plays the FBI agent. She interviews Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> like, it's just like very straightforward. Like, right. she does her job. He's crazy. But then watching it and you get an idea of like, oh, no. Like, she's, yeah, exactly one of two women in the whole FBI Academy or that year or whatever. Yeah. And every time that she walks into a room, she's just surrounded by men. Yeah. Who are like staring at her like, what are you doing here? Or who are checking her out. Right. Yeah, I thought that was so fascinating this time around watching it. And everybody wants that strong female lead, but I, in so many ways, uh, I, I don't know that anyone's topped, uh, Clarice Starling, no. uh, as a character because, yeah. and we'll, we'll talk more about the, the ending, but there's something about the genuine fear that she shows. Uh, that just feels just very human and real. You know, I think sometimes people overcompensate, whether it's a male or female lead, and they're almost cartoonishly brave, you know, mm-hmm. just like in a, in a way that no human would be or cartoonishly tough. And she's strong and vulnerable at, at the same time and, you know, distinctly feminine yet distinctly tough, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> Uh, it, it's just uh, a marvel of, of how she pulls it off. But I, I, I think that's why I say that this is as gross and depraved as the subject matter is that it covers. It still feels like it's very humanistic. And that's the touch that Jonathan Demi brings to it that you really understand this person and, and care about her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you care about the way that she kind of braves this ugly world that she's been put into i uh one of my favorite small like smaller scenes in this whole movie was and it was something i just remembered watching it last night is her friend in the academy with her when she's the one who gets the call that hannibal has escaped and she slams the phone down and it's just a shot of her running like she's terrified and it's so interesting because the whole time you've seen these t- two women or, or her, I guess, specifically just be very like professional or whatever. And she just like runs down the hall to go tell Jodie Foster that Hannibal Lecter has escaped. And yeah. oh, it gives me chills just thinking about it. It's so effective to yeah. just see her in plain street clothes after having seen them in their mm-hmm. uniforms or whatever. And Hannibal Lecter has left such an indelible impression on you as just the epitome of the the chilling you know, hyper intelligent, uh, sociopath. Uh, but you don't see him for the last 40 minutes of the movie until the little epilogue. So Absolutely. Crazy. The yeah. real villain of this movie is Buffalo Bill, right. you know, but Hannibal Lecter is still hovering over the picture and you still like in the back of your mind, he might show up at any point, you know, mm-hmm. and so like that's done so well by Demi to set up that tension that just exists yeah. constantly for the last hour of the movie once he breaks out of prison. Yeah, that seed that is planted. I mean, that first scene, you never forget that first scene. The whole time you're watching the movie. Yeah. Even seeing him in all the, once they're moving him around and to jump to the end of the movie, seeing him out. Yeah. And 
you still, I still think I, I see him. I'm like, is he wearing a wig? And I'm trying to remember <laughs> what was, what was that scene like when he, that, that yeah. first seed where he's behind the glass, he's just behind like glass. staring at her and smirking. I think it's Ugh. 12, 12 <laughs> minutes into the movie is when you get to that first meeting of Clarice yeah. and Hannibal. And it's just one of the most memorable scenes in, in movie history. But similar to when we were talking about the third man of like setting up Harry Lyme as a character for an hour of like, she has a conversation with Crawford. She has a conversation with Chilton about Lecter. So you've There's already, build up. they've already yeah. kind of placed this guy in your head as like, Oh, he sounds scary. But then just panning down into that cell oh, of Anthony Hopkins, just standing there completely still. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. the stillness of his performance that makes him so fucking scary. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And as, cause as she's going down the hallway, all these crazy people are screaming at her. Who are doing, who are arguably in there for horrific things as yes. well. Yeah. Yeah. Who do you, you don't even pay mind to. Yeah. And then you get to his cell and he's just standing there. Standing there waiting for her. He knows <sighs> she's coming. So you know what I just realized? This does, and let me know your thoughts on this, you guys, because this is a podcast where we talk about <laughs> thoughts. It feels like this is the movie. I know that there were other movies made about psychopaths. Psycho would be one. Uh, but doesn't it feel like this movie really started a trend? I'm thinking of all of those Morgan Freeman movies. Kiss the Girls. Yeah, sure. where it's like a tough lady cop and Morgan Freeman. Yeah. <laughs> like Ashley Judd yeah. and uh, whatever. Denzel Washington. Yeah, like there was like a Bone string. Collector. Bone Collector. Oh, yeah. Angelina, Angelina Jolie. Jolie. There was like a string of movies for maybe the next 10 years. Absolutely. They tried to recreate this magic. magic. Yeah. What's the one with Holly Hunter and Sigourney Weaver? What's that? Oh, and, and, and a very young and talented Harry Connick Jr. <laughs> <laughs> playing the psychopath. Oh, yeah. Well, I forget the name of the movie. Yeah. It's called, uh, oh. come to me. Okay. Um, so there's yeah. no way, there's no way to find so out. So then you guys agree that this kind of like, <laughs> oh yeah, a trend. it started a trend, uh, Probably, you know, for the negative, you know, I think there's diminishing returns right. on it since then. And again, I, I think he gets you to care about her so much. And there's so there's a lot of like subtle and small things that he does. Uh, I'm thinking later when when she starts to when she figures out where Buffalo Bill started uh, in Belvedere, Ohio, there's a lot of just like kind of setting up the landscape of the town and everything of like these quiet little scenes where you just see this very rural town and you, it really sets up the feeling of Clarice being isolated and of like, if she were to fall into any danger here, there's no one around right. to rescue here, but it's this bucolic kind of mountain setting. But he really takes three or four minutes to just very quietly show you this, this town. It's really well done. That's something that I, I miss that in, in everything that we're, we watch these days is those, yeah. these little details of the wind blowing this little windmill on somebody's, uh, mailbox or whatever right. it is you know yeah. just that that the if you feel so alone there yeah uh something you mentioned earlier matt when before we started recording was when you were trying to get the younger people in your tour to watch this movie and you were like yeah if it's longer than an hour we can't get i can't get them to sit down and watch it <laughs> which is it does i don't know i don't mean to be dismissive of Millennials. <laughs> but I do think that there is something to that because this isn't that long of a movie. It's, it's a little really under not. two hours. Yeah. 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 But, but yeah. And, and even I'll take on some of that myself. I have a hard time sitting down and watching movies mm-hmm. anymore. I think our attention spans have been hurt. Yeah. 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 
And this movie, you know, it it flies by. You it know, totally I think. flies by. I, 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 yeah. Every scene feels very purposeful. We watched the whole it. thing back, like in a row. Like we didn't take a break. Normally, <laughs> yes. I take a break in his movies, yeah. and I'm like, I'm gonna go take a nap and then come back and finish it. <laughs> you did leave the room for about five minutes during the sequence where uh, Hannibal eats the guy's face and kills the guard yes. and strings up the guy on his cell. Of like, oh, that's a great scene. That's a great scene. <laughs> I uh, I from... know that scene, so I don't need to see it again. Yeah, I love that actor. Um, he was in some Russ Myers. Charles Napier. Yes, yeah. Charles Napier. Yeah, Jonathan Demme uses a lot of the same people in bit roles. You know, as you watch a lot of Demme movies, you'll see a lot of the same faces. Uh, the guy who plays the, the funeral director slash Travel. organist is uh, Tracy, Tracy Walter, yep. who's a very recognizable character actor who's yep. been around for years. Uh, what about Ricky and the Flash? Did anybody reappear? <laughs> I, I'd have to watch Ricky and the Flash to know. I'm sure we will cover it for the Marathon. <laughs> nope. It's Are you terrible. gonna watch Ricky in the Flash again? No. <laughs> Was that his last movie? Oh, oh, I hope not. What a way to go out. Oh man, such a bummer. <laughs> Uh, but also his mentor was Roger Corman and Roger Corman plays the head of the FBI in this, oh, in this movie. Uh, I didn't know that. The guy who, uh, the coroner uh, is a guy who was his line producer who he used in a lot of movies. Uh, Chris Isaac is in multiple yeah. Jonathan Demme movies. Jonathan Demme's done a lot of documentaries with musicians over the years too. And, uh, and he, he's very purposeful in how he uses music yes. in the movies. Uh, Howard score, uh, Howard Shore does the score Canadian. for this movie. Yeah. Uh, we heard Howard Shore before, of course, with his iconic score for the Lord of the Rings trilogy when we covered oh. the Return of the King. Well, I'll uh, have to tune into that <laughs> podcast. <laughs> As a composer yourself, what did you notice about, uh, either the, the needle drops that Demi uses or the score that Shore wrote for this? Well, I mean, they're, they're so complimentary to them, to, uh, to each other. The, the idea of that scene that you're talking about in Ohio, that's the perfect way. I mean, Shore takes that approach to uh, the composition. You almost never feel like you're listening to there's any music. Mm. Yeah. And that's my favorite thing to experience. It's that, that invisible, you know, Six character that people are just not prepared for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just combining with the visuals to make you feel the thing you're supposed to be feeling yeah. in, the, in the moment, but it's, it's not calling attention you, to itself. I yeah. always, I, when, I, when, I, when I really know I'm enjoying a score, it's when I can't find it. <laughs> because mm-hmm. I'll start to listen just for the score and then I'll get so caught up in the film. Yeah. The visual aspect and the actors. Or then while I'm getting so caught up on that, and if I'm so caught up into the scene, then all of a sudden the score creeps in and I'm like, wait, what's happening? You know, it's like you, you just don't know where to look. Yeah. And that's the, that's, that's the really great thing about putting these art forms together and why they work so well. Yeah. I mean, I like silent movies too. Like going back and watching some of these great, uh, Chaplin, uh, somebody that I've watched some of his silent films. And they're really, it's really powerful without music, but man, when music comes in, yeah. you know. And he wrote his own scores too, yes. didn't he? Yeah. Smile is one of his greatest songs that he ever wrote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Really I forgot beautiful. he wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's Michael Jackson's favorite song, right? Smile. Yeah. Wasn't it sung at his funeral? Yeah. Am I making that up? 
I don't know, but it sounds like it's correct. I'm going to say that that's right. <laughs> Somebody will tweet at us. If any, yeah, if anybody finds out. They do a real good job of yeah. letting us know. Do you guys know. have a, 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 a strong contingency of uh, fact checkers? Yes. Uh, Craig. Yes. Yeah. The Craig's listeners are very good. It's, Actually, they're, uh, they're, they're really nice about it, too. Oh, good. They're good and nice about yeah, it. Yeah, and funny. And we, we ask for help with those things. You know. Sure. Uh, sometimes we do our own corrections and fact checking, and sometimes we uh, need to get called out yeah. by if folks. Anybody out there can tell great. me what chord this is? You just text that right in. <laughs> <laughs> text it. My phone number is Matt. Doesn't know. He knows how to play it, but he needs the I name need for it. The name for it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Well, why don't we go chronologically through the movie a little bit with a segment that we like to call Carla's Quotes. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's Quotes. This is, well, here's a pre-movie quote. This is you, the, the aforementioned burger. I got to eat this burger real fast before any gross stuff happens. <laughs> That's a Carlos quote. Write that down. I'm going to be too tired to say anything. Yeah, I was so tired. I was like, you got to get these things as they happen because <laughs> I got about five of them. But folks, do not worry because she was a real chatterbox. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it goes. Whenever I think I'm not going to talk that much, it ends up. There were tons and tons of quotes. Uh, <laughs> you going to eat that lemon? I sure am. That's amazing. You're peeling a lemon right now. Well, you have a wonderful lemon tree right out front. Uh, You're in California, man. I am. This is the, uh, well, I'm, the I'm land. from Florida, but we're the sunshine state, but what do they call California? The land of citrus. Land. <laughs> we have a lot of oranges in mm-hmm. Florida. You have lots of oranges. Tangerines. Mm-hmm. The key fruit. limes, <laughs> key lime pie. That's the best place to get them. Yeah. Uh, but I, are you really going to take a bite out of this lemon, or yeah, just going to well, squeeze it into your water? No, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm going to enjoy it, and <laughs> might take me a couple of tries to get it right. But uh, we'll start with eating it and consuming it, and then see where we go from there. There's more water right there when it gets too sour for you. Yeah. I've never sour? seen anybody do this before. Really. It's a citrus fruit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah. Okay. He's doing it. It's very good. (laughs) (laughs) There's paper towels, too, if you need them. Uh, Already during the opening credits, uh, Carla Carla threw in a spooky. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to eat some of this lemon. Carla, What? I think I got to try it now okay. that he's doing it. Sorry. Spooky. I said that. Yes. <laughs> and this is just her running the obstacle course. Oh, my God. That is so sour. <laughs> Did you stick the whole thing in your mouth? Oh, my God. Whoa, that woke me up. Give me some of that water. Keep going, Craig. Sorry. Uh, Carla also threw in a, ooh, look at the baby Jody. <laughs> <laughs> baby Jody. She's so pretty and cute. And I think she smart. was 27 while she was shooting this movie. Okay, let's have, let's have this conversation real quick. Yeah. Because this let's happens, get into it. Let's I feel get like into this it. happens fairly frequently mm-hmm. where I say something and you're like, well, no, no. And then we look it up and you're like, you were right. Mm-hmm. So I said, she was about 26 when she made this. Okay. And Craig said, no, she was, older she was than older, than, older that. than that. And he said, uh, you might have even said 30 or 32. 
I don't believe I committed to that. Okay. And then you said, because, you know, Taxi Driver was just 15 years before this. Right. Yeah. And I said, yeah, but she was like 13 when she did Taxi Driver. Yeah. So I said, oh, she'd be 28. And I said, I don't know. It still feels like 26. <laughs> she was 28 when the movie was released, 27 while she was shooting. Thank you. Okay. So I wasn't wrong, is my point. Was love- she 13 or 14 when she... 13 when she did Taxi Driver, yeah. I love you, Craig. I do. But I love sometimes, you, Carla. Yeah, sometimes when I say stuff, you're like... Like, the way that he reacted, it was like, no, she was like 40. Oh, like the no. subtext. No. <laughs> like, I had said the craziest thing. You know, you said 26. I said 28. We were both wrong. She was 27. But on average, we were right. Right. <laughs> when you well, factor in both of our responses. You- Technically, you were right. Yeah. If she was filming it when she was 26 and you're looking at her when she's 26. <laughs> Did you say that? Did you say it was, she was 26 when she filmed 27, it? 27. 27. Carla was you, dead wrong. You dead wrong. both were wrong. Uh, but, okay. You really but you only said 28 her. after I did the math for you with Taxi Driver. Okay. I apologize. Is Taxi I Driver love you, on the <laughs> Taxi Driver is on the list. Really? I'm not watching it. Well, that would be your final pass then. And you've Don't al- give it away. You've already done a pass for Raging Bull. Oh, yeah. Ooh. So are you really going to take a pass Ooh. on another? Which one are you going to pass on? <laughs> wow. I'm going to pass on number one of the list. On number one? You can't do that. So I'll watch Taxi Driver. You can't take a pass on number one. <laughs> <laughs> that, would be, that would be the worst way to end this podcast. <laughs> or maybe the most appropriate way to end yeah, this podcast. Who knows? All We've got right. another five years to think about it. <laughs> five years? <laughs> Uh, I'm being real saucy this morning. Uh, <laughs> yes, you are. I know, right? <laughs> How about a little sour to undercut that saucy? <laughs> uh, top quality people all throughout the uh, the technicians on this movie. Howard Shore, I mentioned Colleen Atwood, the famous costume designer, did the costumes. Tak Fujimoto is the DP. Oh, gosh. That, that, he's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's got a great name. Yes. <laughs> Tak Fujimoto. Tak Fujimoto. Uh, here's Carla early on noticing the disparity of the uh, the men and uh, Jody. Look at all the dudes. I guess that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> well, she walks into the elevator. They call her in to see the main guy, the big yeah, guy at the Jack FBI, Crawford. Jack Crawford. And she gets in the elevator and she's just been working out. So she's like all sweaty and she's just surrounded by men in uniform, right? Yeah. Who are giant. Giant. Yes. Giant men. <laughs> that must have been a fun casting call. <laughs> Only uh, giant men. Uh, not tall enough. <laughs> Sorry. We're looking really? for 6'4 or yeah. higher. Uh, Carla on the burger again. I should not be eating this late this late at night, especially when this movie is going to give me nightmares. <laughs> oh, I was a prophecy. You were a prophecy. I was a prophecy. <laughs> I prophesized. You also tried to make the lector uh, sucking sound. <laughs> <laughs> or slurping sound. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I know. <laughs> Is that what he's doing? I've always tried to figure that part out. I think he's slurping the nice Chianti is what he's doing. Like like drinking a wine? Like- yes. I think so. Oh, is that how is that how fine wine drinkers? I'm not a fine wine drinker. Um, well, you do kind of like roll it all over your tongue to get, uh, you know, all all five of the uh, the taste buds uh, operating. Yeah, you get your sweet, your sour, your bitter, 
you're saucy. Uh, you're, you're saucy. <laughs> you're salty and you're umami. Yeah. So you do kind of like as you're tasting wine, you're like. Nobody does that. <sighs> Never seen that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I just realized now that you said that because it's just a thing that we've always seen in this movie and it's been so iconic. I've never, I never ever thought about what he was actually doing. I just thought he was trying to creep her out. Yeah. And I think even I didn't know what a kidney bean was. Is that what he says? A fava bean. Fava. A fava bean when I was a kid. So I thought for, I, this is what I this is the image that pops in my head is more like um like a piece of fish or something that he's slurping up. <laughs> a census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. I did that good. I mean, that could be the liver, could be the fava beans, could be the Chianti. Right. Write to us, Craig Glissers. Let us know what, what do is, you think it is. What is he slurping there? I thought it was spaghetti. I really <laughs> did. I thought he was doing like the lady is the tramp. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. Uh, here's another thing I think Demi does really well because in these movies you need a lot of exposition, right? Just to mm-hmm. kind of set up the world. But I think from the beginning, this movie feels more like it's about behavior than exposition. They mm-hmm. manage to get the information in, but it's really about how Clarice is interacting with these various men. It's like a know? good improv scene. It's like a good improv scene. <laughs> it's just about how people are behaving. And a lot of it is done in close-ups and people looking straight to the camera. Mm-hmm. And one thing that he did intentionally is when he shows people interacting with Clarice, they're often direct to the camera to, in her point of view. And then when we see Jodie Foster's face, she's looking a little off camera. So we're not seeing their point of view. We're seeing everything through Clarice's eyes. Mm. That's a really nice point. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Jack Crawford played by Scott Glenn, who we saw in Nashville. Oh, yeah. Uh, just one of those character actors that he's always a little different and always very believable. Yeah. I think. Um, when we first meet, uh, Frederick Chilton, the, uh, the, whatever he is, uh, the head of the, uh, prison for the insane where Lecter wow. is, Carla's like, this guy's so dead. Yeah. <laughs> I'd forgotten the ending. Oh, yeah. And I was like, this guy. Yeah, he's not going to make it. He's not going to make he's it. He's not going to make it because he's so fucking smug. He's too smug. He's, <laughs> and smarmy. Yeah, smarmy. That's a much better word. I was going to use, uh, well, I won't even say it. Smarmy is the right <laughs> word to use. <laughs> and when, then when he hits on her, Carla said, oh, I don't remember this part at all. Yeah, I, for, I did not yeah, she, she just gets hit on so many times so in this movie. <laughs> it's cra- like I would if you would ask me how many times does that happen, I'd be like none. It's not about that. And then it is. It's totally about her having to be a woman and deal with these. Being guys a woman in a man's world, yeah. yeah. And now having been an adult woman for twenty years yeah. and seeing this it's movie, like you know, the biggest theme to me in the whole film. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he does that little speech of like his pulse never got above eighty five, even when he ate her tongue, Carla said, "Fuck off." <laughs> <laughs> And uh, as she goes past the cells with all the psychopaths, oh, um, there's uh, multiple Migs, who's the, the creepy guy who masturbates on her. Yep. And he says, uh, I can smell your C word. And Carla said, did he say I'll eat your C word? <laughs> it is kind of hard to hear. He's what screaming saying. at her. You hear the C word. Yes. Now, 
let's go back to 1991 for a second. Yeah. I had no idea what that was. <laughs> I had no idea what he was doing. Sure. You know, yeah. I thought maybe it was just like he blew his nose. Right. Yes. But I remember thinking like, what, what was that? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and the he just way has she, a really bad cold. Like, <laughs> and the way she handles that situation, given now knowing, watching it 20 years later, 20 yeah. plus. So. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I know. Uh, yeah, it's disgusting. It's awful. I mean, there's, I, I, it's just one of those ways that this movie gets under your skin yeah. and on your face. Uh, oh, <laughs> you're fired from this yeah. podcast for that it's one. It's my oh, podcast. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> but again, I think a lot of movies okay, have gone for, and the, the Hannibal sequels have done this to, you know, the Hannibal TV show to a certain extent of like, they get the gross out, but, uh, but again, not the the humanistic stuff to make you care, you know. And I, mm-hmm. I, I think you really care about Clarice. I, I know I'm saying that over and over, but that's why this is an all timer. Um, as we first saw Hannibal Lecter, Carlos started talking along with it. Where he's like, "Closer," and Carlos mm-hmm. said, "Closer." I probably hadn't seen this in 20 years, but you still know <laughs> all that, the dialogue yeah. verbatim. Yeah, Carla also threw in a. This is a scary movie. <laughs> <laughs> that first scene with them. I mean, every scene with the two of them is just electric. Incredible. But that first one, you're like, oh, my God, this is the scariest uh, civil conversation I've ever seen. <laughs> Apparently, one of his inspirations was uh, lizards. Mm. <laughs> the way that lizards are very kind of still and reptilian, mm. you know. Uh, and apparently he based the voice on Truman Capote and Catherine Hepburn. Is that correct? Yes. I can hear wow. the Catherine Hepburn, actually. I can hear the Truman a little bit. <laughs> really? Uh, you can really hear it. I'm like, oh, Senator. Yeah. yeah. Love your suit. Yeah. <laughs> it's that, that, that hanging over with us. Yeah. <laughs> and which, which brings you back to like an amphibian creature with, with the, Senses are all on the tongue. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a cannibal. <laughs> oh. He's but, getting all five of those senses. <laughs> <laughs> but knowing that he actually acted with Catherine Hepburn, you know, so he got to, got to hear that voice firsthand. Um, Carla said, she just got sperm on her face. That's, that's worse <laughs> than when a homeless guy <laughs> spit on me. <laughs> oh, no. That's Is happened that to true? me twice in my life. Oh. First time I was living in Chicago. And I lived next to a homeless shelter. And it was always fine until one day when it wasn't. And the oh. guy spit in my face. Mm. And then the second time was a couple of years ago on Hollywood Boulevard when I was walking into work at Second City. Oh, gosh. And a guy was ranting and just walked up and spit in my face. Were you as calm and collected as Clarice? I think I was, actually, because I was... I went into like protection mode, which was like, just get out of here. <laughs> You're laughing, but I'm trying to be serious. It was scary. I'm already anticipating the next quote. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, you said they should include the scene where she washes it off so we're not thinking about it for the entire movie. (laughs) I agree. Like, is it still still in her face? Did she know? Like, did she really get it out? Yeah. Did she take the time and care to really, really, really get in there? To wipe behind her ears? On your face? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think we should assume that Clarice is put together enough to think to immediately <laughs> wash it off. But the next scene is her walking to her car yeah. with her coat on. And you can't help but think, 
is his sperm on her face. Well, see, now you guys got me all screwed up because the next thing I'm going to Google when, when this thing is over is when did the black light theory, like when did we figure out that black lights <laughs> find sperm all over the place? When, uh, when law and order started. Right. Yeah. Or not CS- law and CSI. CSI. That's yeah. it. That's it. <laughs> Uh, but then we see her crying in her car, you know, which, uh, again, like a really nice touch to create that vulnerability because we've seen her be like so like steely strong, you know, in the face of all this ugliness, but she's got to, it's got to come out somehow, sure. you know? Um, also the idea that Lecter can convince somebody to kill themselves with words alone. Like that whole thing of like the guy swelling his tongue is just ridiculous. Of, like, right. that, like that can't happen. Right. You know? But, but it does. But you buy it into does this later world. down, down in the, uh, in the, uh, other movies. Oh, really? Ray Liotta. That's right. Yeah. With, uh, with his brain yeah. wide open. Oh, uh, oh, is that the red dragon or? That's, uh, Hannibal. That's Hannibal. just the grossest. And, ah, in the world, <laughs> he's like eating his lemon. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, ah. uh, yeah. I don't. I went to see Hannibal, but I don't remember anything about it except that Julianne Moore sitting at the dinner table. Yeah, that yes. beautiful dress. Yeah, watching Ray Liotta cook and eat his own brain. Yeah. <sighs> you said you hated that movie. Yeah, I don't I don't remember it. I remember it being like, what is sh- this isn't working. I remember when it was cast, I was like, oh, that's a good second choice to Jodie Foster, I guess if they have to do this. And yeah. then it just not working. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I think your mic's too far away for you to get yeah, no, I, that to was keep- purpose. <laughs> <laughs> the uh the Bizarre jump cut between seeing Hannibal Lecter to then hearing Tom Petty's American Girl. Oh, God. It's like there's such like a, a nice weird juxtaposition about that, too. Uh, and Carla said, ah, this is, is this going to ruin this song for me? Because I love this song. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, that is just like a great choice of like the, there's no more like classic rock, all American song, yeah. you know. And then when we see uh, Brooke Smith's. Uh, character who gets abducted by uh buffalo bill just singing along to that song like you just know that feeling of just like freedom and joy and singing along to a favorite song in in your car and just knowing that uh this woman is about to be you know kidnapped and and possibly killed uh it's a bizarre but uh cool juxtaposition i think yeah uh, and then Carla says, she survives. Spoiler! I had to remind myself because I was so upset when she was getting kidnapped. Yeah. Was, was that – that was a, ten, a Ted Bundy reference, correct? The, the Ted Bundy l- lured Lord. women to his car oh by – he would have his arm in a fake sling and uh. would try to like be lifting a couch into a uh, I mean, to how psychologically yeah. messed up is that? You know, yeah. that's – that's what I remember taking away from that. I was just like, no, this is such a nice girl. It's just all of it, you know, the, 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 all those pieces come together. Yeah. Uh, with that song. Yeah. You know, it's like the American, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, next door. I have cri- the Criterion version of Silence of the Lambs, which I've had since like DVDs first started coming out. And it was one of the earliest ones that I bought. Maybe the first Criterion I ever bought. They no longer make it. So it's out of print, but they have on the disc. All these FBI case files and serial killers to look through. And then they have serial killers, uh, talking their own voice, uh, just the text, not audio recordings. Uh, but it's really chilling to get insight into these people's minds. But there's a little thing on how they diagnose and profile various types, uh, mm. of killers. So 
cool bonus features and also a good commentary track with Demi Hopkins and Foster, mm. as well as the profiler that was the inspiration for Jack Crawford. Wow. Uh, so if you can track down that disc, I'm not giving up my copy, folk. But uh, Brooke Smith does not work very often. I think she's a very good She does, though. Actress. I looked it up on IMDb. Is she? Is she still working a oh, lot? Oh, yeah. She's okay, working good. a lot. Good, good. She's uh, She does a lot of TV. Speaking of Julianne Moore, one of my favorite uh, things that Brooke Smith was ever in was uh, uh, Vanya on 42nd Street. Mm, I never saw that. It's so good. It's crazy that I haven't seen that because I love Chekhov. You love Chekhov. And uh, it's Wallace Shawn as Uncle Vanya. Who I love. Yeah. And it literally is these people just like – it opens with Wallace Shawn walking down the streets of New York, like buying a hot dog and then going into rehearsal for Uncle yeah. Vanya. It's done like very uh, intimately. Uh, but Brooke Smith is in that and she's, uh, she's wonderful. Um, and then, uh, Ted Levine as Buffalo Bill, uh, just another like indelible portrait of like just, He's just disgusting. one of the, the creepiest characters Absolutely. ever. Uh, but maybe Ted Levine not getting enough credit for how, how good, good, how he, good is he is. Yeah. Uh, I forget who told me this story, but some actor that we know worked with him on maybe Monk. Or major crimes or something and apparently uh was told by like a pa as they were being driven to the set of like please don't bring up sounds of the lambs with ted he does not like to talk about it what? <laughs> well i would I, can you imagine having to play that role yes i, th- I think it really took a toll yeah. on him uh and look I've been in comedy for 25 years and I know that I have done Buffalo Bill on stage so many times <laughs> and every improviser that I know has like a Buffalo Bill impression. Everybody loves to say like, uh, was she a raping fat person? Line, you know, wow. and it's because it disturbs us so much that the only thing we can do is to joke about it. Right. You know, um, so I imagine that if you're Ted Levine, it's the first thing that people want to bring up with you. Can you do it one more time? Uh, <laughs> she a great big fat person. That's <laughs> really good. That's really good. Really it good. puts the lotion in the basket. Oh, God. Um, uh, oh, that was that scene. That scene gave me that. That was the most chilling scene. Yeah, that was tough. When they, she the light comes back up. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did enjoy reading though was that Brooke Smith and Ted Levine became fast friends doing this movie together. Well, you have to. You have to have some sort of trust as actors yeah. to pull off scenes like that. I yeah. would think so. Oh, I bet there was some crying. I oh, would have yeah. been if I was that character. Yeah. Ted, you know. Ugh. And he, you figure he was probably much younger than he was. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, his experience probably threw everything he had into that film. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> And then when she is helping him get the couch and she's, she's like, you look pretty handicapped there. And Carla said, I don't think it's politically correct to tell someone they look pretty, pretty handicapped anymore. <laughs> Let me help you. You look pretty handicapped right there. Uh, <laughs> you know, she's, she's at the FBI Academy, which is in Quantico, Virginia, right where I grew up. And I had a lot of friends whose dads worked for the FBI Academy. 
uh, or at the, there's also a big marine base in Quantico as well. And I guess this is one of the few movies that was actually allowed to shoot there at the FBI Academy. So wow. that was really, you, seeing like the training sequences is interesting to, uh, to get a sense of like what goes on there. And there's a nice fake out that kind of sets up the later fake out where, uh, you know that Clarice is, is going to, uh, I think it's when she's, uh, she, they're going to West Virginia to that funeral home to see the, the victim. But there's a thing of like a, a car, you know, a car chase of like whipping around a corner. And then you kind of see of like, Oh, this is just a training sequence. You mm-hmm. know, it's not an actual action sequence, which is like a, a little nice minor fake out. Yeah. And there's a really cool fake out that, uh, that Demi pulls off later. Um, <laughs> oh, for some reason, Carla was, uh, was kissing her guns. <laughs> 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 Doing the uh, what? What? What's the real muscle? Your pecs? Your bicep? Yeah, yeah. Carla was kissing her biceps. What are your pecs? Your chest? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, clearly, I work on my body a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but Carla was kissing her guns in the middle of the movie, and she said, "I could shoot a gun with these guns." <laughs> Carla, we did just uh, shoot a BB gun recently up in Portland. It's the first time I've ever shot a gun. That I was think a, I've shot a real gun with blanks for a TV show. Oh. Once for uh, a little show called Community, <laughs> where I had a pump action shotgun. And even then, you know, with like there's like a uh, a marshal, like a gun marshal there who teaches you safety and everything. And these are real guns loaded with blanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was terrifying to me. Like I didn't want that responsibility of even firing off fake rounds, right. you know. And I really – and we were like firing at cans <laughs> uh, at this party with a BB gun. And it was uh, – it was – I have mixed feelings about it because I'm so anti-gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then that feeling of blowing something up with it, like, gives, gives you, like, that power in the moment. I also just shot a BB gun <laughs> on the road. Okay. In Rogers, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Feels right. Where you're obligated to, right? I, I, that supposedly we were. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> where the Walmart is from. Uh, and um, they gave us free BB guns. What? <laughs> like just the people that worked at the venue were like, here, you should have a BB gun. Weird. Yeah, and we shot cans. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it is pretty fun to, to watch. Like, it took me several tries, but once I made that uh, tab explode everywhere. <laughs> I think it was tab, wasn't it? Which I didn't even think they made anymore. Uh, it might and have squirt. been Fanta. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> my God. Like unwanted sodas is what yeah. we were firing at. <laughs> yeah. Then they started to pull out LaCroix when they ran out of those. And I was like, no, no, no. no. Preserve the LaCroix. <laughs> <laughs> what are we barbarians here? <laughs> then we left that party and we went and got dinner, I think, and took a nap and went to the airport and later on saw a couple people from LA who were just at that party. And the first thing they were like, they said was like, did you shoot the BB gun? <laughs> <laughs> like it was a crazy thing that none, none of us had ever done. <laughs> uh, there's that scene at the funeral home where uh, Jack Crawford gets out of like having a conversation with the sheriff by kind of using Clarice of like, oh, this uh, has uh, aspects that we prefer to discuss in private. <laughs> and uh, Carla said, he used you like a girl. <laughs> <laughs> and then you said, I don't remember all this gender politics stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, 
And then when they're doing the autopsy on the body and they find the cocoon uh, that's buried in the throat, uh, they say, she's got something in her throat. And Carla said, it's a lamb. No, no, she's the lamb. Wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it was a moth or whatever, a butterfly. What was it? A moth. (laughs) Um. When uh, she's back at the uh, the prison and she tells uh, Chilton to let her do her job, Carla said, yeah, back off, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> then we have the famous quid pro quo scene. Oh, yeah. Where she starts trading information uh, about Buffalo Bill for exchanging, giving Lecter information about her personal life. Which I got gives so him power nervous, over sweaty her. during this one. Yeah. I was like nervous sweating out of everywhere. <laughs> uh, on that, uh, love your suit line, yeah. Carla rolled her eyes. <laughs> but like, it is I liked like, it. Yeah, yeah. It is one of the campier moments. In I don't it. know that I roll my, I remember laughing at that. <laughs> I think you rolled your eyes. That's what I wrote down. All um. right. <laughs> now who's being saucy? <laughs> Um, Love your soup. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he's uh, in the cell at the uh, upstairs of the courthouse, which is like could not be staged more dramatically. Of like, why is he in this gigantic cell and yeah. he has a whole floor to himself? Like, I mean, it looks like a museum. I thought yes. it was a ballroom. I thought they were at a it, hotel. It might be. Yeah, I didn't know. I was just like, where? I did. I did think that. Like, where the hell are they? Yeah. It's ridiculous. I don't know if it holds up to scrutiny, but it sure yeah. makes for some fantastic yeah. shots. That's for sure. Uh, but the cops, they're like, is it true what they're saying? He's some kind of vampire. And Carla said, you're going to find out. You're going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, with Clarice's lamb monologue, so good. And something I found out in reading the trivia is that in the middle of Jodie Foster, this close-up, this long story about these lambs that were being led to slaughter on the farm that she was at and, you know, escaping and everything. Apparently, you can hear a stagehand drop a wrench in the middle. You can hear a clanging sound far off in the distance in the middle of her fucking monologue. Oh, wow. And she held it together and finished the speech. And then apparently when they called cut, just lit into the guy. Yeah. You know? But wow. uh, like, but they use that take for the movie. Well, certainly, yeah, because certainly that's not the only time she did it. Sure. They did a few takes. So I'm it must sure, have done but, something to make her performance even more interesting. Uh, apparently another thing is like uh, she didn't know that, uh, the the slurping that we talked about before and Hopkins like making fun of her accent and stuff mm-hmm. like that she didn't know he was going to do that and was really annoyed with him you know so relax I, I, Jody relax <laughs> don't relax Jody because you gave an incredible yeah performance, you're going to win an Oscar you know? for this they just really brought out the best in each other uh yeah Anthony Hopkins technically probably a supporting actor but he won lead mm-hmm. actor for twenty four minutes of screen yeah. time he's just so memorable yeah uh. And then when she runs back to get her notes and he just caresses her hand with one finger, how could that be that creepy and scary? Yeah. But you just know how dangerous this guy is and, you know, how much like he's craving to get like one little touch of her. Yeah. And it's just ooh, chills. The, 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 the painting, the pencil, the pencil of, of uh, the, the drawing that he did of her. Yeah. Yes. 
That was like super creepy yeah. too. And then Carla says, he drew that real fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this intricate thing. But that touch, like I remembered that. I did it as it was happening in the movie. I put on my <laughs> finger yeah. and I went like this and, and I, I waved g- it at you. And I gently touched. And then we said, E.T. phone home. <laughs> <laughs> They just did that. They all they just reenacted that whole thing. <laughs> E.T. phone home, Clary. <laughs> uh, when Chris Isaac shows up leading the SWAT team, Carla starts singing Wicked Game, <laughs> which how could you not? How could you not? Carla refused to look when uh, Hannibal takes the, the guy's face off of his face. Yeah. Oh, but it's so gross. Carla threw in a, this is a tough one to watch late at night. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, just such great misdirection of like we we find out that James Gum, uh, Buffalo Bill's real name, he's got a house listed under his name in uh, Calumet City, Indiana. So we see the SWAT team advancing there. There's a little title that says Calumet City. We also see Clarice Tim digging around in Belvedere trying to find this guy. And we cut to Buffalo Bill in the basement. We see the doorbell being rung. We see the doorbell going off in the basement. And then we cut to him opening the door and it's Clarice at the door. Yeah, yeah. you think it's going to be the SWAT team that he's opening the door for it's and it's her. so good. It's so, and that, and also the bait and switch of not realizing that Hannibal's underneath the face. Yes. Of the guard. Like, there are two huge fake out moments in this movie that are done so well and still hold up today, I think. Yeah. Like, if you saw this for the first time, I don't know that you'd see either of those coming necessarily. But that's just basic. You know, editing, editing 101 is like when you juxtapose two things together, your mind immediately makes an association with it. And so Jonathan Demme knows, uh, that you're doing that and he's yeah. toying with you like it's a incredible. psychopath would. Wow. It's really great. It, it's, yeah, it holds up for me big time. Uh, here's Carla on Precious, Buffalo Bill's dog. That is a really cute dog. <laughs> and I said, it's a serial killer's dog, Carla. And he said, it's not her fault. <laughs> She don't get to choose who picks her. She don't. She don't get to choose who picks her. <laughs> uh, certainly, the scene where Buffalo Bill tucks his dick in uh, this is one of the one of the creepiest things. This was actually something that I realized watching this last night when I was a kid. I think that he, I I thought he had a vagina. Sure. I thought that that was a vagina. Mm-hmm. But realizing watching last he's night, just he's just it tucking in. his dick, tucking it in. Yeah. I didn't know. Right. This movie did touching on all kinds of social <laughs> issues that we're dealing with today. Yeah. It did get a lot of criticism from the LBG. Sure. The trans community. Uh, there's Q community. There's the a time. couple, uh, there's some dialogue between Clarice and Hannibal about trans people. Yeah. That is, that is questionable and probably would not make it into a film today. Yeah. I do think they take pains to say, first of all, the Buffalo Bill is not a real transsexual. He and does that trans- say that. You're right. And that transsexuals are not violent. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Because of the criticism, uh, Jonathan Demme really did take that to heart and felt bad about the, the portrayal and realized how many negative portrayals of gay people. Because this was a time in the 80s and 90s yeah, where the serial killers were always gay, mm. you know. Uh, and then I think that was a big inspiration making Philadelphia his next movie right? oh. to kind of atone. Uh, for that, which I think is a nice touch. Yeah, way to go for him. Another. I love that movie. Amazing film. I need to see that again. Uh, Carla said, I know how this ends, but I'm still nervous. And I don't know, as good as all the Hannibal uh, Clarice scenes are, I almost feel like my 
favorite scene is is how she plays her slowly realizing that this is the guy mm. and him slowly realizing that she's onto him and that little standoff in the kitchen of like the tension is just unbearable. She checks her gun right. you know, uh, and she's like, can I use your phone? He's like, oh, yeah, um, yeah, you can use my phone. <laughs> you know, it's so good, so yeah. tense. She's like, put your hands in the air. Spread your legs. And he kind of laughs at her of like he's so creepy and then runs away. It is though. It's like, it's a cool performance from him because it's not just like he's laughing like, ha ha ha, I'm like this villain. Yes. He's, he still looks scared. He yes. still looks like, oh shit. And it's almost like nervous laughter. Yeah. You know? Ugh. When he, when he gets, oh yeah, I have your card here. Yeah, I have the card. I have your card. That, Ugh. that scene right there. And I he drops like, all the cards. Yeah. <laughs> and then just seeing the butterfly comes in, which just kind of confirms that this is the right house. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Carla whispered, remember to look in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Cause that was a scene in the beginning. She didn't look in the corner when she was doing her training and she, they were like, you just got shot. You just got shot in the head or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Carla said, I literally just tied my hair into a knot. I did. I tied my hair into a knot because I was so nervous and I had to, I had to cut it out. Um, <laughs> That's too much information. Uh, can I say something about this real quick? Yeah. In my memory, I totally remember the lights going off and him wearing the goggles yeah. and her like going around and, but I thought in my memory that that was the whole, once, once she like pulls the gun on him, that that happened right away. Yeah. And it doesn't. There's like at least five minutes of her just wandering through the house right. and like going from level to level and seeing how how it's much creepier it gets yeah. as she goes down into the basement yeah and that in that bathtub yes and who was in that bathtub that's the old lady that's the lady who ran the sewing shop oh. or, or the, the clothes shop that he worked at yeah and owned the house yeah okay <laughs> thanks for connecting those yeah. those <laughs> dead dots for me and then when, when she gets, uh, you know, where Catherine is being held in that, you know, that well or, or whatever, and, uh, she's yelling at her and Carla's like, don't call her a fucking bitch. She's trying to help you. Yeah. The, the victim is yes. like, she's yelling at Don't you leave me here, you fucking bitch. <laughs> I was like, calm down. She's trying to help you here. And then when we see Buffalo Bill's perspective through the night vision goggles, Carla said, she's got nice hair. That's what he's thinking right now. She does. I, I, it was, that was such an effective scene because he's just staring at her and she's like panting and she turns and her hair looks so beautiful. <laughs> and I was like, I, before I even like connected like that he's going to try to scalp her and use her hair, <laughs> I was thinking as the audience, she has beautiful hair. Wow. And then his hand goes out to touch her hair. It was so like, that's really good filmmaking <laughs> i didn't even think about that i didn't even think about the fact that he would destroy her body and take parts of it yeah yeah right yeah. i mean that's why he doesn't shoot her right away i think is because he's like attracted that to her makes so much more sense because yeah. he's, he's looking at he's the coveting shape, the her hunt, the hunt yeah because yeah. i'm thinking just kill her right, right? like if right. you got the goggles on you turn off the lights sure that's what i do that's it. what you do yeah but he's like no he's, no, he's gonna looking at her. her and like sees her hair and so wants to touch her hair giving a whole other level to the scene <laughs> so creepy oh can i also say that the dog so um sarah is her name sarah or is that the actress's name What's the one who got kidnapped? Catherine, played by Brooke Smith. Yeah. <laughs> so no Sarah at all. Okay, great. <laughs> Catherine. The dog is precious. Right, right, right. Played by Darla. Okay, great. So Catherine and Precious 
so Precious is, has been taken into the wall, well by Catherine or whatever, whatever. Uh, anyways, when Jodie Foster's in there and she's trying to like tell her to calm down, the dog just keeps barking and it's so effective to like put you on your, the edge of your seat even yeah. more because you're like, shut up, shut up. And then Jodie Foster says, make that dog shut up, make him, <laughs> make her shut up or whatever. Uh, it's just like, it really, it almost feels like, uh, you know, nails on a chalkboard because yeah. you're so scared and nervous. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan Demme just one of those filmmakers who just always did something different. He never really made the same kind of movie twice, you know. He probably felt like, hey, I've done my thriller, mm. <laughs> you know. Uh, I guess Something Wild uh, kind of ends as a, a thriller as well. It kind sure. of, like, goes from, like, a, a buddy, you know, mismatch comedy into, like, a scary thriller of, like, it does, like, a neat turn. I need to see that there. again. It's been a long a time. Uh, it's Jeff Daniels and uh, Ray Liotta and uh, Melanie Griffith. Melanie Griffith, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, for for a guy who's not necessarily known for uh, for making thrillers, like, well done, well yeah, done, Jonathan, for real. Uh, and then at the end, as we see Catherine carrying out the dog, Carla said she totally adopts Precious, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, she, that's yeah. forever. But then, how tortured is that? <sighs> but I mean, I guess you're never gonna forget it anyway, right? <laughs> Her life is a nightmare after that. Poor thing. I hope she went to therapy. So, Carla, when we watched se- Seven, which you admired, you did say you would never watch Seven again. Yeah. Uh, do you think you would ever watch Silence of the Lambs again? I, I could probably watch this one again. Yeah. It's just... You'll take a break for a, for well, a few decades. The but. difference with Seven is the gore. There's so much gore in yes. Seven. And in this one, I think I did a... I remembered where the gore came in and I efficiently left the room. <laughs> yeah. And came back. Seven, just an uglier movie in general. Again, I think because this is a female heroine mm-hmm. and uh, that you you have such empathy for her, that makes it worth rewatching, I think. Yeah. And just those scenes between her and Lecter are a master class in acting, I think. Yeah. Really um, engaging. Is this an A for you? Well, this is tricky because I we when we did Big Night, I was a little drunk, <laughs> and I you gave out your first A plus. I just willy-nilly. loved Big Night, but I really did love it. I loved the experience of watching it with Julie, our friend, and like we had pasta after. I mean, it was all just and plus, it's a really great movie from start to finish. But I was drunk. Yeah. Okay, but I did it. Okay. That's the thing that I did. So okay. I feel like I have to give this an A plus. Because this is a better movie than Big Night, even okay. though Big Night is a really good movie. Okay. A plus. A plus. A plus for Carla. Uh, Matt, letter grade? Uh, I'll go A plus as well. For sure. <laughs> what does that A plus stand for, Carla? Uh, it stands for A plus size women. Be careful out there. <laughs> Avoid Buffalo Bill or helping men put couches into the back of hands. <laughs> Well, uh, maybe we'll edit that out. <laughs> oh, that's so good. It's so good. Hey, plus size women. Be careful out there. <laughs> no, that's too good. It's too good. Uh, well, Matt, while we have you here, we might have you, uh, underscore a little improv scene from us. I'd love would that. You, would you mind? Yeah, absolutely. And if you feel like interjecting some of the other, um, prisoners in the background, their voices. Yeah. Go for it. Okay. And, I think it would be fun, you know, there's like the three, I think there's only three scenes between Clarice and Hannibal in the movie, you know, and they're very, uh, eventful. But what if there was just like another visit where there just wasn't much to talk about? 
between okay. them. Like, there's just no new news on Buffalo Bill okay. or, or anything. So this is an, a visit of Clarice to Hannibal that was cut from the movie. Okay. Dr. Lecter. Welcome back, Clarice. I, uh, I, I, I was at the academy this morning and I realized I had uh, forgotten... Um, well, I'd forgotten to say thanks for the great visit. Well, that's very nice of you, Clarice. Thank you for the good visit. Tell me, any more news on Buffalo Bill? Nope, not- nothing. Not one thing. Really? Nothing going on? Um, Dr. Lecter, I, I can't reveal. I'm a professional, and I can't give you just any willy-nilly information unless you're going to give me something. Well, I respect that, Clarice. Quid pro quo. So, I don't know. Do you have a girlfriend? Do I have a girlfriend? I live in a cell. Right. I was just trying to make... No, no, I get it. I get it. You're just trying to make small talk. What's, uh... They don't tell me what's going on in baseball. How are the Orioles doing? Won the World Series. They they won the World Series? (laughs) Okay, quid pro quo. Crow. <laughs> What's that? Quid pro quo. I thought Doctor. you said quid pro quo. Boxers and, or briefs? Uh, boxer briefs. Boxer briefs. That's a good answer. That is a You're good a answer. Very smart man. How about you? What kind of panties do you wear? Um, that is. Uh, I'm sorry. That's personal. Cl- that's personal. I take, I take that back. That is disgusting. I that take- is more something that Migs would say. That uh, you're right. If he was around and hadn't Mixed, swallowed his tongue, he did swallow his tongue. I made him do it, by the way. I don't know how that's possible, I'm, but that's I'm what not, I keep hearing. I'm that skilled. I also language. hear you're a vampire. I haven't seen anything. Not like a that vampire. Yet. Not a vampire. I'm a psychiatrist and a uh, cannibal. <sighs> how, uh, you you a fan of Mel Gibson? <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, <laughs> I think he's look, a nice guy. I think he's a little over the top in the Lethal Weapon movies, just like not not an authentic, <laughs> not like, an authentic take is, on a on a sociopath. But yeah, all I'm I, saying is he he's not a terrible person. He says some <laughs> really. You're going to defend Mel Gibson? He might say some bad things, but only when he's wasted. <laughs> you know what he was good in was the Bounty. <laughs> Are you going to try to eat me, doctor? No, no. I would never do that, Clarice. (laughs) The world is far more interesting with you in it. Good, because I have a BB gun. And I'm not afraid to use it. A BB gun? You think that will hurt me? You're going to explode me like I'm a can of LaCroix? (laughs) Scene. (laughs) Yeah! Cool music. That was so fun. That was. I'm sorry, I brought up Mel Gibson. I was just. That was awesome. Oh my god! My brain for Jodie Foster. Oh, just be really quiet through that whole thing. She's really stuck by him all these years too. They are close. It's amazing. You know, because you think of her as like the ultimate feminist. You know, it's Mm -hmm. bizarre. And then they made that movie, The Beaver, together, right? Oh yeah. Oh, uh, uh, that was actually a really fantastic film. I, I haven't, haven't seen, seen it. it. Okay, I loved it. Jinx. <laughs> you know, I once had a dream that Jodie Foster was my cousin. Aww. And when I woke up, I was so disappointed that it wasn't <laughs> true. <laughs> like, I love her. I even liked that movie she did a few years ago where it was like her husband got killed and she went after the guy. She was like a vigilante. 
Yeah. It's not a great movie, but she's so good in it. She's just, yeah. she's just, you know, relatable. Sure. Contact. Panic Contact. Room. Contact is a great. I watched great Contact movie. again not too long ago, and it still holds up. How do you feel about Contact? I liked it a lot. Yeah, yeah but I, I don't think cry. I've seen it since since it came out. So good. And Panic Room, I like a lot. And then as a director, she made Home for the Holidays, Which right? Which I love. Yeah, that's a good one. I wish she directed more. What's she doing? She's raising her kids. I saw her once <laughs> at the movies, at a movie theater in Century City with her two kids. And I was going down the stairs, and it was just the two of us on the stairs and her kids. And um, she was like, okay, well, we'll go see another. Like, she was going to take them. She had just seen a movie with them, and she was going to take them to another one. <laughs> wow, a double feature. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, Matt, what... A joy of having oh you my on gosh, today. It's a really I love you, Matt. I love you guys, and um, this is a, a real honor. I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to be able to top this. What do you What do you want to promote? Uh, where can people find you online, and where can people see you play or hear you play? Well, you can hear me play in New York City. Um, I play about six, seven nights a week. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> You're exhausted. And he's a dad. Uh, yep. I have, um, you can see me on the playgrounds, um, in Greenpoint, <laughs> Brooklyn. Um, you can find, uh, some information about me at mattparkermusic.com. Cool. And, um, yeah, or just listen to this podcast over and over and over again. I left all kinds of little clues, uh, <laughs> ways to uh, connect with me through different social media platforms. Um, <laughs> yes, everything you've said can t- be turned into an anagram. <laughs> so, so if you guys, if you guys have time to decipher all the anagrams that Matt has been leaving, what do they call those you? eggs? Do they sure Easter eggs? Easter eggs. Yeah, yeah we, we, uh, there's a few in this one. Okay, yeah. wow. Who a are real you on Criminal mastermind. I am uh, at C Matt Parker. Okay. C Matt Parker. Well, my, I'm Clayton. Clayton. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so it's the letter C Matt Parker. Great. And you did not create South Park. I did not. No. <laughs> oh, Trey right. Stone. And now yeah, I'm not, I'm not part of any of that, unfortunately. <laughs> um, love those st- guys though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Love them. Sure. Good guys. Uh, well, thank you so much, Craig's listeners. We're in, uh, the mode of trying to, uh, bank as many of these as possible before Carla leaves for Portland, as we mentioned before. Uh, so we hope to continue our one a week trend. Uh, but, uh, we, we may not be able to hold up to that, but we are going to try our damnedest to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks to Jonathan Dinerstein, as always, for, uh, our opening theme and the Carla's quotes theme. Thanks to Ken Plume for remastering our sound. And uh, thanks to everyone for tuning in. So Sound Slams, number 53 on Craig's list. I believe it's going to stay about right where it is. I loved watching it again. And uh, coming up next, Carla, a Hollywood classic. This is a 1950... They all? <laughs> this is a 1952 film. Uh, not quite a Western, not quite a drama, not quite a thriller, a little bit of all those things. Uh, this is a 1948 film directed by John Huston, mm, uh, and name. starring his father, Walter Huston, who he directed to an Academy Award, and Mr. Humphrey Bogart. Cool. Ooh. And, uh, this is the movie with the famous line, we don't have to show you no sticking badges. Uh, it's called Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Have okay. You, have you seen this? Never. Okay. What do you know about it? Nothing. <laughs> okay. Are you expecting? I bet they're going to smoke in it. 
<laughs> I I haven't seen it in a while. I bet there's a lot of smoking yeah. in it. Uh, it's about three guys looking for gold in the Mexican hills. Great. <laughs> City slickers redone. No, no, it's, it's the beginning. Uh, so, Matt, thanks again for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Carla, thank you for being here as well on Craigslist, and uh, we'll see you soon. The list is an absolute good. The list is life. <laughs>